0: That dreams are made of. You can't handle the truth. What this at the movies is about is about looking at a movie of our day and trying to apply a spiritual truth to it. And as much as I don't like superhero movies, I love the theme. The Avengers are a group of guys that come together for a common purpose, and that, they said in the trailer, to save as many people as possible. And and their whole theme is we've got to stay together whatever it takes. And uh, so throughout this sermon, I will be interjecting things from the movie about that. We need to save as many people as possible so they get all the, the, the Superman, I can't even name them, but all these dudes that are, have all these powers and that can do much and they go out to fight evil and combat, combat the wickedness of their day. And, and can, I, I, can I just transfer this to the, now to the Bible? Paul was looking for... Not a group of superheroes, but he was looking for a group of people to plant a church because that's how he found to be the best way to spread the gospel. Paul's the, the, the ultimate church planner, Paul's the apostle of the, of the New Testament. Paul is the guy that got radically saved and really, through his ministry, turned the world upside down. And so he goes to Philippi, it's a little city in Macedonia, and he looks for a group of people that that he can maybe start and, and maybe they can build something and grow something. And, and, he, and he begins down by a riverbank and he finds a group of ladies. And he just begins to talk with them and discuss with them, shares his story, listens to their story. And one of the ladies is named Lydia and she's a businesswoman. And you'll find out later in the book of Acts chapter 16 that she's very wealthy and she gives her life to Christ. She, she had an understanding of God, but never it surrendered fully to the Lordship of Jesus. So Paul leads her to the Lord. He goes to her house. Her whole house gets saved. And the church at Philippi is birthed through this one lady. They're, they're out and about the next day. And, and again, they're just trying to rally people. And they're trying to communicate the gospel. And this, this demonic girl will not shut up. She just keeps yelling. And she, at the top of her lungs saying... These guys want to tell you about Jesus, and they're declaring that he's the only way for salvation. And, and I mean, it's just obnoxious, and it's causing problems, and it's, and it's causing difficulties. And finally, Paul turns around and says, be quiet in Jesus' name. And the demon immediately goes. This woman is clothed in her right mind. Paul leads her to Jesus, and it's the second member of the Philippian church. So now they got a slave they got a, a, and, and the woman that was a demoniac was a slave. And what happens is the slave owners get mad because because of her demonic influence, she could predict the future. So they get mad. They're losing money. They cause chaos to stir up against Paul. And so Paul gets thrown in prison. Well, that's not, that's not right. He's preaching about Jesus. How many know God has a purpose beyond your own personal comfort? He gets thrown into prison. He's shackled in chains. He's, the, the guards are, are demanded by the authorities, keep an eye on this guy, don't let him go, make it hard for him. In the middle of the night, him and Silas are singing in this jailhouse, and they're just declaring the praise, maybe in the second stanzas of how great is our God, and the foundation of the jail begins to shake, and the doors swing open, and the shackles come off, and they begin to, to really just be led, walk out of the prison, and the jailer on guard Gets scared to death. He knows his, his life is, in, if these prisoners escape, he'll lose his life. And so instead of going through the torture, he draws his own sword. Gets on his knees and begins just about to run that sword through his heart. And Paul says, hey, hold on. Wait a minute, big guy. There's more. There's more than this than what you just think. And he began to declare with him God, about Jesus and about the Lord. And the jailer gives his heart to the Lord. And then the jailer invites, this is in the middle of the night, the jailer invites him home. All his kids get saved. His wife gets saved. They all get baptized. And, and, and that's the core of this new church that Paul starts in Philippi. The first three converts are a business lady a slave girl that's demonic, that was demonically influenced and oppressed, a prison guard. One was Asian, one was Greek, and one was Roman. One was very high uh, in social standing, one had no social standing, and one had little social standing. One was upper class, one was lower class, and one was middle class. And I just say, what a wonderful picture of the body of Christ, the body of Christ is not just white or black or, or brown. It's not just the rich or the poor or the middle class. The body of Christ is not just the Assembly of God church or the Baptist church or the Methodist church. Jesus said that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified and with your mouth you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, who blesses all of us richly, who call on him for help. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. These three people called, God answered, and he saved them in the church at Philippi began. They were committed to one another. They were passionate in their pursuit of Christ. They were bold in their witness for Him. They were compassionate to those around them. They had the favor and the blessing and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the church began to grow. And people were added. And families were transformed. And eternities were changed. And they were impacting the culture and impacting their city. And the goal, just like the Avengers, was to save as many people as they could. And you know, that's my prayer for Clover Hill. That will come together from every different background, from every, I mean, we've got people, Clover Hill's like a melting pot. We, we've got people that have come out of the Catholic Church and were, grew up in the Baptist Church and were part of the Methodist Church. We've got people that were just heathen, that, that just they had no church affiliation, just smoke whatever heathen, you know, all of us were heathens at one time, but just heathens. And we've come together. And my prayer is that we will rally around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we won't see black or white. We, we won't see rich or poor. We, won't, we all will see is the blood of Jesus. And we'll work together. And we'll partner together. And we'll fellowship together. And we'll love each other. And, and we'll come to church on Sunday to be encouraged and to, edify, to be edified. To encourage one another and bless one another. To worship God in, in, in spirit and in truth. To hear God's word and be instructed on how to live. And then we'll go into our community and we'll radiate with the presence of God. That people will begin to ask us, why do you have such hope in difficult circumstances? Why can you have such joy? I see you reading your Bible. Do you really believe that? Well, what I see you praying at times. What does that mean? And that, again, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll begin to share our story, share our faith. Win them, invite them to a service. And the presence of, here's my prayer that the presence of God will be so strong and so real that they, they'll cry out, What must I do to be saved? And because you invited them and you have a relationship with them, and because you're a part of a small group, you can invite them to your small group where they can be nurtured and, and they can mature in the things of God. And, and we can have. The same influence and the same impact that, that the church of Philippi had. That we can have it in Chesterfield County. But, but here's, what, here's what happened to Paul. Here, here's what happened. He brought all these different people together. And they had different perspectives. And they had different ideas. And they had different ways of thinking. And, and, and God never calls for uniformity. But he does call for unity. Unity. And Paul was saying there's some way, there, there, I've got to bring all these different cultures, diversity, thinking, ideas, I've got to help the Lord. I've got to bring them together because, with, again, with different personalities and different, different preferences, there's opportunity for, for conflict and, and unneeded challenges and issues that if we're not careful will divide us. And the Bible says... That a house divided cannot stand. And this is what I know. A divided nation needs a unified church. If there was ever a time in our generation. Where the church needs to come together as one. And lay aside our preferences. And lay aside our differences. And rally under the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day. Now is the time. And and the opportunity is great. And if we'll do it. I believe God will use us. Mightily, and if we don't, I think we'll miss out on our potential, we'll miss out on a great opportunity, we'll, we'll, we'll be a laughing stock to a watching world because the world says if they can't get along, who can? If, if, they, if they can't iron out their differences, who can? But he, here, here, here's so here's what Paul said here's what Paul commanded the church at Philippi if you have any encouragement. All these different people, all these different backgrounds. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you, here's what he's saying. You're born again, you know Jesus. And if there's, any, if there's any strength from that, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Again, he's not calling for uniformity. We're different, and that's fine. He's calling for unity. He's not not telling, we all got to look alike. No, that's not the point. But we all got to walk as one. Have it being one in spirit and one in purpose. Paul's prayer for the church, guys, man, what a great thing God is doing. I love the fact that we got rich and poor, white and black, Hispanic. We got everything. It looks a lot like heaven but if we don't walk as one, if we don't unify under the lordship of Christ, then it's off or not. And and here's the deal with the Avengers. They couldn't do it. If you watch the, the movie, you'll find out that because of an issue, they, they, they couldn't fall on the same side. And they became enemies. And so what what started as a group of superheroes fighting for one common purpose, it divided them down the middle. And now they began to fight against each other and the bad guys got stronger and the culture got weaker and their influence diminished and their potential to help others was not realized and here's the application god has called us as the church to be an agent of healing to win the loss to light up the darkness to preserve righteousness to usher in his kingdom, his agenda, and his purpose. Here's what Bill Heibel said. There is nothing like the church, local church when it's working right. The beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the weak. It heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers much to the confused. It provides resources to those who are in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction. It heals the oppressed. It offers uh, belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has greater capacity for healing and wholeness. There's too much at stake for the church to be uh, bickering and fighting. There's too much to be lost that, that again, that if we don't rally around the cross and together pursue the heart of God, which is that none should perish. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is, it's called the high priestly prayer. It's the last prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. And on multiple occasions and multiple times, he prays this prayer, protect them. It's supposed to be them, and it's talking about us, by the power of your name. The name you gave me. So they may be one as we are one. Well, Who may be one? God is saying just as as you and I, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're one. Three distinct personalities, but one Godhead. May the church, may, may those who have confessed their name in me, may those who believe in me as their Savior, may they be as one. May they be united. Here, John 17, 21. I pray that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. John, uh, same prayer, two more verses. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world. Why is unity so important? Why, Why do we have to lay aside some of our differences for the greater good? Because the world's watching, and the world needs to know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity is a big deal. It's in God's heart. It's on his mind. The last thing he prayed before he went to the cross, Lord, make the church one as we're one. Why? Because nothing is more valuable to God than his church. And nothing has greater potential to damage our testimony and ruin our credibility and destroy our potential than division and conflict and disharmony. And if you're part of God's family, you have a responsibility to protect the unity where you worship. You have you have a divine mandate from god to protect the unity of believers and and again i'm not i, I, I i'm not preaching this cuz i think there's There's a lot of division. I'm not preaching about an issue. I'm saying we've got to protect before the issue can become a reality. We have got to fight for unity. We've got to partner with other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, regardless of what denomination they might label themselves. And we've got to link arms and we, we have got to be one so that the world will know that he loved us and the love of God is in us. So how, how do we do this? And And I encourage you, I didn't give you an outline, but but if you're taking notes and I encourage you to do that, here here's one thing we have to do: we have to walk humbly. And here's here's what I think defines humility as much as anything else: that it's it's codependent. Humility is not independent. Pride says, I don't need anybody else. Pride says, I can do this on my own. Pride says, I'm a self-made man. I don't need anybody's influence or encouragement. I'm I'm who I am because of just who I am. That's pride. Humility says, I need others. That's what the psalmist said, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Humility says, I need others to pray with me and to walk with me. I need others to support me and encourage me. I need others to, to confront me when I get off track and to bring comfort to me when I'm hurting humility recognizes the fact that I need my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's what Paul is playing. He He's saying, look, guys, you, you cannot do it on your own. You weren't meant to live out Christianity in the context of, of isolation. You were meant to live it out in the context of community. You were meant to link arms with others. You were meant to be a part of something that's bigger than you. You... For you to say you don't need other believers is either arrogant or ignorant. The Bible says that if you're not plugged into a local church, you're like an organ without a body. You're like a sheep without a flock. You're like a child without a family. The Bible says you belong in God's household with every other Christian. And the problem is we have today is is we got a culture that's independent, and I can do it on my own. And if I don't like something here, I'll go hop, and I'll I'll go find it somewhere else. And so we got all these immature believers that have not put down roots anywhere, just hop from place to place because they're unwilling to deal with conflicts, issues, and potential disharmony. And I'm telling you, if you're looking for the perfect church, this is not it. And if you find it, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Because you're not perfect. And there's no perfect people in the body of Christ. We all have issues. And if you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. We've all got struggles and difficulties and challenges. And to just jump from everywhere to every spot so so that we can and it just doesn't work. And it's it's proven fact. And today, even in the in the state of the church and and in and, and where we're at as a people, over fifty times the New Testament says that we're. To, to either pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, greet one another, serve one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, be devoted to one another. The Christian life is more than just a commitment to Christ. It's a commitment to one another. It's, it's, it's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's it's laying aside personal preferences. It's not getting on the Facebook and and throwing up all over everybody. Stop it. It's not helping. It's causing more division and more strife. My mom used to say, if you can't say something nice, don't say it. There is a time to confront and I'll talk about it. But there's also a time to heal. There's a time to encourage, there's a time to build up, there's a time to come together and and say, let's be the church, let's make a difference, let's link arms together, let's rally other believers, and let's see what Christ might do in in our nation, in our time, in this hour. We've got to walk humbly. Here's another thing, reconcile quickly. And I'm just going to go through this real quick. Again, I'm going to try to anyway. If you're taking notes, Matthew 18, 15, I don't see a lot of people taking notes, and, and uh, so just disobey and be rebellious and be whatever you want to be, but, but it, it's just not on me anymore. It's on you. That, so enough said. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, You have won the person back. We're talking about keeping the unity. We're we're talking about dealing with, with strife and issues. What do I do when there's conflict? Well, the Bible gives us very clear instructions. Here, I've broken it down like this. This is what it says. When there is conflict, not if there is conflict, when there is conflict. There, some people say, well, if there's conflict, there's a, there's a lack of spiritual maturity. I would say that's the furthest thing from the truth. Where there is something that's alive, where there's passion, where there is perspective, where there is a personality and a divine purpose, there can be conflict. Again, you put people together. I mean, you know, they, they, they say that marriage... Uh, uh, it, opposites attract. Opposites attack too. You, some of you have found that out in your marriage. We, we think we think it's all hunky dory and everything's good until until we start dealing conflict. Is it's just it's in life. It doesn't mean you're spiritually immature. It means you're alive. It means that it, it's your, if there wasn't a little conflict in our nation, I would, I would, I would be concerned about it. If there, if there wasn't a little bit of, of rubbing even in the body of Christ because we're maybe debating different ideas or different ways or, or different means. Then, I mean, again, God's not calling for uniformity. He's calling for unity. But in the midst of it, in the midst of the conflict, we've got to figure out how to work through it and work it out. Whether it be a marriage conflict, a relational conflict, church conflict, conflict with your neighbor, Whatever the conflict might be, we, we can't ignore it. We don't look past it. We don't try to forget it. We acknowledge it. Here, here. When there is conflict, here's the second part. You go. And you know what that means? You take responsibility. We always want the other person to come to us. Well, I went to them last time. It's, it's not fair. I'm always taking the first step. It's not right that I got to say I'm sorry again. If they're not willing, why should I be willing? Because Jesus said in Matthew 18, 11, I just read it to you. You take the responsibility to set things right. If the other person has sinned or offended you. In another scripture, Jesus said, if you're at the altar praying and you realize that somebody is, is offended that you've done something against the brother, get up from the altar and go and make it right. In both cases, Jesus puts the burden on us, not the other person, on us. If you've done something wrong, take the first step. If they've done something wrong to you, take the first step. And I'm talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you've got to use some discernment here, and and, and you've got to try to, you've got to, It's not everybody. I mean, there's some conflict. But if there's a brother and sister in the Lord, if you are both connected to Christ, there ought to be common ground. You ought to be able to find something that you can rally around. And there ought to be unity in the midst of even difficulty. But you've got to take the first step. Don't let resentment fester. Don't stay in stew. Go and reconcile. Where do I go? You go to the person. And that's usually the last person we want to go to. We want to go to somebody else and tell them the problem. Hey, I got a prayer request. And this other guy, he's just treat we just want somebody to join our side. We just want somebody to say, Oh, they're so bad to you. I can't believe how you've acted. We're we're just looking for a for a for a that boy. We're looking for a for a partner to, to to join. And I'm telling you that that's one of the that's one of the worst things you can do. When 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 you When you are offended, you don't need to go to everybody else and air out all your dirty laundry and tell them everything that's that's wrong. Here's what happens when we do that, and then eventually when we go make it right with a person, we we can't go make it right with everybody else. So what's already out there is already out there. And we need to be careful that when we're in conflict, we don't go throwing everybody under the bus and telling everybody how bad everybody else is, but we go to the person. To the person to deal with it. And can I even say this? Can I throw this in there? And before you go to the person, go to God. I found out on so many occasions that if I'll just make it a matter of prayer, God will change my heart. God will change the person's heart. So when I go to them, it's not even an issue of conflict. It's like God has already prepared the way where it just seems to, to work itself out. But when there is a conflict, you go. You take. I have to take responsibility. You go to the person, not to everybody else. In private, we have, a, we have a saying on our staff that we champion publicly and we confront privately. We, we, if, if there is something, if Andrew does not like something I'm doing or something that I've said or something about me, he's not going to get on the platform and let it be known. It's not, he won't be on that platform long, I'll guarantee it. <laughs> He's going to come to me or vice versa. If I did it to him, I wouldn't be here long because you wouldn't let me. Because that's not what the body of Christ is about. He's going to champion me publicly. I'm going to champion him publicly. But privately, we're going to get together in a room. And we're going to, we're going to discuss the problem and talk about it and try to resolve the conflict that we have. We do it in private. And we discuss the problem. We don't discuss the person. This is good. This is really this is really good practical stuff. I wish we would, I wish we, I wish I would do it more. But we don't discuss the person because a lot of times we want to focus on the person. Well, you did this and you did that and and that's how you are and that's what you're about. And the person is not the issue. The problem is the issue. And we need to be able to separate the person from the problem. I, I remember I was coaching my kid's uh, baseball team, Tyler's it's been several years ago, and one of the boys on the team was wasn't showing up for games. He was always late to practice, and he was just you know I I, his, I never saw his mom and dad. In my mind, I'm thinking what you know he's only 11 years old. I'm thinking what a bunch of deadbeat parents. They won't even get their kid to a game. They've never come out to support him. And so I I mean in my I'm I just I'm assuming all this stuff. I'm getting mad at his parents, thinking they're how bad they are. Probably have, have told somebody else what well, his parents don't even care about him. They never come, and so I say, well, "I I'll go pick him up." And so I say, "Be ready at five o'clock. Have your uniform on. Be be ready." I get there at five o'clock. He's eating a nutty buddy. He's watching Cartoon Network. He's he's nowhere close to being ready. And I, I'm just like, not only are his parents deadbeat, this kid he and until I said, I said, "Hey, buddy." What's going on? He said, my mom has bone cancer. Six months ago, she fell and broke her hip. She's been in the bed for six months. She gets chemotherapy however often. My dad is working 80 hours a week to help cover the medical bills. I, I just, you know how to spell heal? You know how to spell, spell <laughs> idiot, S-T-A-N. I mean, like, oh, if I would have just taken the time to talk to him, to figure out what's... Now he didn't have a deadbeat mom and dad. He had a mom and dad that were suffering and that were hurting. He was an 11-year-old on the loose. He was an 11-year-old that needed somebody else to come alongside him at that season of his life and be a source of encouragement. I, I, I want us to, before, before we start attacking and before we start assuming, I want us to take the time to find out what's going on. Maybe there's a reason that hard, uh, abrasive guy at work can't get along with anybody. Maybe his daddy never told him that he was loved. And, and some of us say, well, well, you've got to just pull up your britches and get over that. But sometimes it's real, and we need to be the heart and the compassion of Christ. And I'm, I mean, I, I could go on and on, but, but we've, we've got we've to step into their world for a minute. There's a reason why people are the way they are, and if we don't take the time to try to figure it out, all the assumptions, all the thinking, it's just going to cause worse. When there's conflict, you go to the person in private and discuss the problem, not the person, you discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation. Your goal in talking is not to win. Your goal is not to score points. It's not to say, I was right, you were wrong. The aim is to restore the relationship. The the purpose is to tear down every wall that might divide and walk in harmony with your brother and sister, husband or wife, child or parent. I cannot emphasize the importance God puts on relationships. Again, when he asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God and love others. Here's what Paul said, if it's at all possible, as far as it depends on you... Live at peace with everyone. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. If there is, when there is conflict, you go to the person in private and discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation. We've got to fight for unity. Here's the last thing. Walk in humility. The second point was. Reconcile quickly. Thank you, Greg, because it had just slipped my mind. And the third thing is love ultimately. Love ultimately. And here's, here's where I'll close. Stay with me, will you? I just want this verse. Oh, I want a lot to sink in our heart. But I want this verse to come alive to us today. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love. I mean, we got some people that have so elevated the gift of tongues and listen to me, it's biblical, it's in there, I practice it in my private prayer language, I thank God for it, it builds up and edifies, but we, there are some people that get so hung up on that, that they, and they don't have love, Jesus said, I I could have the greatest prayer language, but if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong, or a clanging cymbal, uh-uh. I, I, I'm not much. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. You know, you know why Paul has even said that? Because in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And so the church in Corinth was all worked up. And I'm not, he's not downplaying them. And these are important. And, and soon I'm going to, I need to teach on the gifts of the Spirit. And, 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 and those things are important and they're vital but if I, if I could prophesy, and I could tell you what was going to happen tomorrow, and if I could tell you when the next terrorist attack was going to come, there, there might be people wanting my voice and wanting me to speak to the issue. But if I don't have love, if I had all mysteries and all knowledge, if I had the cure for cancer, if I, if I, I mean, I would think I was something. I mean, not, there, there was a time, I, I watched, there's a 6'4", 260-pound man, Wasted away in a matter of three months to about 120 pounds. Thought he had a back pain. Went to the doctor. He had, he had cancer. And ate him up within six months. I think, man, if I could, outside of a miracle of God, there was no human resources. There was no human cure to help him. If I could, if I, if I had fathomed all mysteries and all knowledge, if I came up with a cure, if, if I had faith that could move mountains, If I walked in a room and every person was healed because of my faith, but did not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, then we're going to take up a special offering on December 11th. And I'm encouraging you. I'm challenging you. I'm I'm hoping that you'll give sacrificially because there's a city that that is in need of Jesus. And we need to be a part of planning a life-giving church. But if I gave everything I had to that thing and didn't love, I'm nothing. Because you can love. You can love. You can give and not love. But you can't love and not give. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body to to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Pastor, what do I do? How how do I navigate through what's going on in our culture? How do I make sure sure we as a body of Christ reach our full potential? Well, number one, walk in humility. We need each other. Number two, resolve conflict quickly. Deal with it. And third, love ultimately. That's our greatest gift. That's our greatest weapon to love in spite of, to love instead of. And what is love? It's patience. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others regardless of their view, their thinking, their religion, their race. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. If we lack love, according to 1 John, we're dead. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. A divided church needs a unified, a divided nation needs a unified church. Can I challenge us once again? Walk in humility. We need each other. We're not to be isol- isolationists. We're not to live alone. We're to do this together. Re- reconcile quickly. When there is conflict, you go to the person in private, discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation and love, ulti- love ultimately. Here's what Paul said, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen, everybody? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me. I want you to ask this question as you're sitting there reverently and quietly and I, I, please don't move now's not the time to leave the service is not over what's the Holy Spirit saying to you we you ask that question Holy Spirit what are you saying to me what do I need to change what 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 do you need to do in my life am I walking humbly do I do I recognize my need for other people am I resolving conflict quickly Lord is there an awe is there a is there an issue that I've not dealt with that I need to? Reveal it to me, God. Holy Spirit, show me. Am I being kind and patient? Lord, am I loving according to how your word says to love? Am I, not, am I keeping a record of wrongs or, I'm let, or am I letting it go? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Take a minute, will you? Reflect on it. Respond to it. On all those notes you've been taking write down what the Spirit of God is saying in this moment. God help us. God help us. Why don't you stand to your feet? I, I don't, I don't, you know, my greatest, not my greatest But one of my concerns is that we just hear a message and then we don't act on it. And I think that's what James said. Just don't be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And I want you to take a takeaway from this morning. And I I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you throughout the week. And and, and, and make it a matter of of, of prayer and intercession. And make it a matter of God change me. God change my heart. God transform me into the person that you desire me to be. Lord, I don't want to be, I, I, want to, I want to grow. I want to be changed from glory to glory to glory. God, I don't want to stay in the same patterns. I don't want to live the same way that's not pleasing to you. God, I want to become more like Christ every day. Lord, I want to walk in, huma- in humility. I want to deal with conflict biblically. I want to love ultimately Jesus. Lord, I pray for the church this morning that we will be unified that we will put down our differences and lay aside our preferences and that we would rally around the cross of the Lord Jesus and a watching world would see the the power that can come from unity can see the grace that can come from the unity of the spirit help us Lord here's the last thing I want to do today look at me will you there's three things we try to accomplish in the service that we want to do we want to worship because God is worthy of our worship he's worthy we want to worship him we want to share God's word because God's word contains truth. It's not, it just doesn't contain truth. It is truth. It's what its what challenges. It's what teaches. It's what, the word of God is what corrects, convicts, brings us to the point where where there has to be change. And thirdly, we also want to pray. We want this to be a house of prayer. And we want to pray for you. If you have a need today. If you recognize, you realize, I need Jesus today. I'm not walking with him. I've turned my back on him. I've I've distanced myself from him. Maybe today is the first time in the service, and you just just sense that, that I need God. Well, I want you to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to help you be reconciled to God through Jesus. If you're sick in body today, we want to pray for you. We want to believe God for you. If you need encouragement today, we want to we see you leave encouraged. If you need wisdom today, you're trying to discern the will of God, man, we want to pray with you. We, we want to help you. And so in these next few moments, again, service is not over. And Pastor Andrew will close it out in just a minute. But I'm praying, God, give us the courage, the humility to be willing not only to cry out to you, but to call on others to pray with us. And Lord, may, may, may we have the courage and may we have the faith to believe that you'll meet us. Prayer team, if you'll get ready. Trevor, if you'll, if you'll sing this, this chorus kind of quietly for a moment. The prayer team's ready. If you need prayer today, will you come? If you don't need prayer, where you're at, will you make your seat an altar of prayer? Will you pray for our nation? Will you pray for our church? Will you pray for our community? Pray for your family. Lord, we call on the God who's able to do above and beyond what we ask, think, or imagine. We cry out to you, God. We ask for your help.